Good morning, everyone. How are y'all? We're glad you're here. Everybody's real quiet and somber. Let's stand up. We're going to sing a praise song. This is one you know. Thanks to the Lord, our God and King, love endures forever, for He is good, He's above all things, His love endures forever. today. It's good to have everyone together here at uh, Community Baptist Church as we worship God together. It's good to, to share this time with one another. We remember uh, some of our group is off today. They are uh, taking a children's retreat, a girls' retreat uh, today. And I think there are 16 that are off at Holiday World uh, this weekend. And so uh, uh, they'll be coming back later today and we'll be keeping them in our prayers. We welcome everyone here, and our guests especially. You're important to us, and we're glad that you're here and a part of us, and uh, hope you'll feel very much a part of our family. 
We'd like to invite everyone to take our attendance sheets on each row and uh, pass those down, if you would, uh, so we could have a record of your attendance with us. We would certainly appreciate that. And uh, just sign your name and phone number and address book, check the appropriate uh, address and email address and check the appropriate box. We would appreciate that. I have a number of announcements that uh, I'd like to bring to your attention. You may notice on, on the tables over here we have basketball uniforms lined up there, and that's because we have begun our upward evaluations. That started yesterday, and we will continue that this week on Monday and Tuesday, and then again next Saturday, and uh, I bet we could use some help with that, couldn't we? So if you'd like to show up and be a part of that, we would, uh, uh, we would encourage you to be a part of that. Also on Tuesday, we will be um, involved with our King's Kitchen ministry. Uh, we'll be feeding lunch uh, to our homeless friends on Tuesday afternoon, and if you would like to be involved with that, please see Christine or Sybil, and we can plug you in. And then on Saturday... Uh, we are uh, going to uh, serve at the Salvation Army, serve lunch at, at the Salvation Army. And I think Sybil uh, has an announcement uh, regarding that. We are still in need of some service for the uh, Salvation Army on Saturday. We still need four or five servers. So if you can help out with the uh, serving of the Salvation Army on Saturday, if you would see uh, me or Jika and let us know that you're available to serve. I think we have everything we need for King's Kitchen. Those of you that said you were willing to um, do food for King's Kitchen, if you want to drop it off here at the church, I'll pick it up on my way over there. Please have it here by about 2 or 2.30 if you're going to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Sybil. Uh, our youth will be meeting here tonight at 6.15, is that right? 6.15, so uh, uh, meet with... with uh, uh, Rachel and, and we will be uh, sharing some time of fun this evening with our youth and also we'd like to welcome uh, today Gary Ely he is our, our guest uh, minister today Gary is from Horizon Stewardship, Stewardship and he has helped over 175 churches conduct uh, capital campaigns and he will be bringing our message today in our worship service and then after church we'll take a, about about a five-minute break or ten minutes or something, and we'll regather here, anybody who wants to stay, and he will kind of go through the process of what this capital campaign involves, and he'll be available to answer any of our questions. So let me encourage you to stay after church and to, uh, to be a part of this meeting this afternoon. And, and also there will be a deacon's meeting on Wednesday night. Actually, I want to invite the finance team as well. Uh, to be a part of that meeting. The deacons and finance team will meet Wednesday night at 5 o'clock here at the church. Uh, we'll kind of discuss where we where we'll go from here. So we're glad that you're here, and it's good to share this time together. So now let us uh, stand and sing our song of gathering worthy of worship.
Let us pray together. Holy God, we thank you for this place and the people that we find here. We thank you for the call that you have placed upon each of us and for the call that we have together as your church. Give us soft hearts and open minds and attentive ears today, O God. Help us to give ourselves to you and to your call upon us as freely as you gave yourself to us. Only you know all that you are doing through these people. Only you know how many hearts are turned to you here and how many kind words and prayers are offered by this people all over our community. How many hungry are fed and how many disheartened are encouraged through unseen acts of kindness. And only you know what might be, what you might do in us, what might happen through us if we would only put your call first and serve you completely. You have a dream for a a day when every tear will be dry and when there will be no hungry and when every person will sit to eat under his or her her own fruit tree, where every sword will be beaten into plowshares. You have a dream for a day when your glory would be so revealed upon this earth that the whole earth would see it together. And yet our dreams have often tarried. And we have often forgotten how to dream because it feels somehow easier than thinking that our dreams may never come true. And so God, teach us to cast away our dreams so that we may dream with you. Teach us to abandon ourselves and to find the joy that comes from investing in your kingdom with all of our hearts and all of our lives. Make us a haven of hope in the midst of despair. Make us a place of love in a loveless world. Make us a place that will be a family to those who are alone. And may your kingdom come in us, O God, we pray. Amen. Gentle shepherd, some days we are as firm in our faith as the disciples at their surest hour, and sometimes we are like lost sheep. Be patient with us, God. Sometimes we panic easily, so calm us. We refuse to be pished. So gently lead us. We make a lot of decisions based on our appetites. Help us hunger for things that truly nourish our bodies and spirits. We may even butt heads from time to time. Help us to be patient with each other. After all, we are part of flock. You can see that we need you to be our shepherd. Teach us to listen to our dis- distinctive voices so that we may follow you and actually love one another as you have taught us. Lord, 
Will it be the only voice we follow? This is our prayer. in reading the scripture this morning. It comes from Mark, the ninth chapter, the 14th through the 27th verse. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I ask you, ask your disciples to cast it out. But they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it threw the boy into convulsions. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? 
And he said, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that kept this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. This is the word of the God of God. And our people said, thanks be to God. Thank you. Father, you are the gracious giver of life, of love, and all that is good. We rise up together to worship you today with our words and with our songs, Lord, and we praise you with our tithes, offerings, and talents. Please bless, multiply, and use these gifts given for God's good in this community and world. Everything we have is yours, God. And these offerings are for the work of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.
Good morning. I am so glad to be with you. I've enjoyed the time of worship we've had together. I have never heard For the Beauty of the Earth sung with that rendition. And I loved it. You hadn't either, huh? <laughs> okay. I think that's pretty good for their first try, huh? I am glad to be with you, and I just really look forward to our time together. Um, enjoyed the times I've been here in the past. Let me quit talking so I can start, you know, giving time to the things that are most important at this point. Uh, some of you have been around as long as I have today, so I'll ask this question. Anybody know what happens on May the 6th, 1954? Raise your hand. You know. You'll remember in just a minute. Somebody did the impossible that day. Said it could never be done. Roger Bannister ran the first mile in less than four minutes. Up until that point, said it can't be done, the heart can't take it, the lungs can't take it, they'll explode. And so nobody had ever run below a four-minute mile up until that point. But on that day, Roger Bannister did it. Two weeks later, his teammate did it. One week, one year later, 39 other people had done it. And two years later, 200 people had done it. And now if you can't run a mile in less than four minutes, please get off the track. (laughs) You're just going to slow everybody else down. I've been working on it. I want you to know that I am at the 4-0 mark. That's 40 minutes. (laughs) So I only have 36 and a half to go. We'll see if that ever happens. My guess is it won't. But uh, it would be something impossible for me. The impossible is sometimes accomplished. It's, uh, it's amazing when you go back. When you, I, I'm a golf fan, and so you hear on uh, advertisements about golf that together we can do anything. Anything. And I'm thinking about whether that's true or not. Could we all together do anything? And I remember about the people at the time of the building of the Tower of Babel. You remember Genesis chapter 11. They wanted to build a tower so high that it would go into the heavens and it would be something for their glory, something that would just mark them out among all people. And God said, see that the people are one. And whatever they set their mind to do, they will accomplish it. And that's God speaking. He's not talking about something that would utterly be impossible. He's thinking about the things that we come up with in our own minds. Well, if we got together, we could do this. And God knows that there is that kind of ability and power just when people unite and say they're going to do something together. And so God said, we're going to have to stop this. And you remember he confused their languages, and they were unable to accomplish what they thought they could accomplish than they could have if God had not confused their languages. So things that we sometimes think are impossible may be possible. And is it possible that this church could raise around $600,000 in three years in addition to what you normally give? 
Would you say that's impossible? Well, a couple of things come into play with this, and I want to try to go through Mark chapter 9 with you. But let me lead up to it just a little bit, give you a little bit of context. Interesting that in the book of Mark, you have one parable, one story of Jesus that is not told anywhere else. It's about the blind man at Bethsaida. Jesus comes up to this blind man, and that blind man asks him for help. He says, what do you want? He says, I'd like to see. And Jesus made some clay, put it on his eyes, rubbed them, and he said, okay, how are you? He, the man says, well, I see, but everything looks like trees walking around. There's no clarity. So Jesus did it again the second time, and the man was able to see clearly. Only time that's in the Gospels. And and you wonder, why did it take him two touches? And yet, there is something in that story that was more important than the man being able to see. It was really clarifying where the disciples were in their sight. Because Jesus would start saying to them, I have to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be tried, and I'm going to be put to death, and on the third day I'll rise up. And they said, no, you won't. I'm sorry, Jesus, but you misunderstand what you're here for. Peter, in in particular, stood up, remember, and said, that can never happen. That that is not what's going to happen. And Jesus is going to say, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're trying to keep me from accomplishing the will of God. So there's a lack of clarity. They need to see better. They need to understand better. They go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and there, Peter, James, John, Jesus, they have that, you know, that side of Moses and, and Elijah. Peter wants to build three tabernacles, and God answers, and he says, This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. He's already said three times he had to go to Jerusalem and die, and they don't want to listen to that. That's not what they want to do. That is not their purpose for Jesus. It may be God's, but it's not theirs. And God is going to have to say, listen to him. The first half of this book deals with the authority of Jesus, his power. The second half where we kind of pick up talks about how he exercises that power, what he has that power to do, what he wants to do with that power. And so we have this story that was just read to us in Mark chapter 9. He comes down from the mountain. He saw a large group around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. That's the other nine. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, this is verse 15, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Jesus says, what are you arguing about with them? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but 
they could not. Now, the man said, I came to you. Jesus was not in the midst of his disciples, the other nine at that time. But the man still said, I came to you. I expected his, your disciples to be able to do what you would do if you were here in person. I asked them to drive out the spirit from my boy, but they couldn't do it. Now, I want to know why, don't you? Why couldn't they cast out this demon? What is it about this situation? They have already cast out demons before. They even went out with some others, about 70 of them. They went around casting out demons, and they came back just filled with joy. And Jesus said, how did you do it? He said, we cast out. Even the demons are, are subject to us. So they've done it before. But there's something about this situation that's a little bit different than any other situation they faced. I think you'll see in the book of Mark as you read through it that demons come in different powers, different degrees of power, strength, different degrees perhaps of uh, position, if you want to call it that. And some are tougher than others. And apparently this one was pretty tough. And there's two reasons that are given of why they failed in casting out this demon. And what I want you to see in this is not the cause of their failure so much as the cause of our victory. If we just flip what they did wrong and do it right, you can accomplish the impossible with the power of Jesus Christ. So the first response about why they were not able to cast it out, Jesus gives in verse 19. He says, O faithless or unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I stay with you? Bring the boy to me. Would you say Jesus is frustrated at this point? Sounds like to me that Jesus is saying, I would have expected you to do fine. What happened? Why are you so little in faith? Your faith is the problem. You don't believe that God can do this through you. If you did, you could have done it. And I, I just wonder, as I think about what's going on here, Again, of this demon, a little bit later on in verse 29, he's going to say this kind of demon. So again, that's why I'm suggesting that maybe there are different degrees of power, and you see that through the book of Mark. And he's going to refer to this kind of demon. And, and the text says they tried. He, he said... I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. That means they tried. I don't know what they did. I don't know how it's different than other times. But they, they did the best they could do as far as their power allowed them to do it. And their lack of faith kept them from accomplishing something that was possible. 
I don't know if they trusted in themselves. I don't know if they said, well, we've done this before. I think we can do this without God's help. I, I just kind of doubt that. But there, seem, there is doubt in these people's hearts, right? They don't know that this can happen. They don't have faith that this can take place. And so they try, and it does not take place. So, Jesus said, bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Here is a father who has absolutely tried everything he can try. You would too, wouldn't you? You would do anything and everything. You would contact every doctor. You would give up every penny you have in your bank. You would do whatever it would take to heal a child of yours of some kind of disease such as this, a demon or a disease. It wouldn't matter. If it broke you financially, you would do it. And he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responded and said, if you can, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Faith is so, so, I can't find of a better word than important. I, there's got to be a bigger word than that. To the accomplishment of God's will in our lives. And what God is willing to do through us if we just believe that he has the ability to do it. This boy had been thrown into the fire. This boy had been thrown into the water to kill him. And so the father has that, that just great pity. If you can do anything, help us. And Jesus said, if you can, my goodness, if you only knew what I can do. If you only believed what I could do. And then, having said all of that, even after these others, other disciples had tried and failed, he says in verse 7 and 8, or, or in the next couple of verses, bring the boy to me, and he immediately, verse 24 or verse 25, when the, where the crowd saw that, uh, when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out and never enter him again. 
And the spirit was just really up to He said, okay. Now the spirit fought like crazy. The spirit convulsed. He shrieked, convulsed him violently. And then he had to come out. He didn't want to leave the boy. He fought with all the power that he had as a demon of Satan. But he could not refuse what Jesus said to do. And when he came out, the boy looked like a corpse and people said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And the impossible has been accomplished again. If you can. Back when I was in college, which was many years ago, there was a book written by Paul Little entitled How to Give Away Your Faith. I read that book, and it was, it was very interesting. I've never forgotten it. He talked about the fact that when a person becomes a Christian and enters into the fellowship of other Christians who have been around for quite a while and grown, that that, that young Christian may be down here in his level of discipleship and faith, and everybody else is kind of up here. But he says because of being around them all, he just grows so quickly, or she does, and gets all the way up there. And then when he gets to the level of the rest of the people in that environment, it just kind of evens off. I'm like everybody else. I have as much faith as the rest of the people do around here. I believe in God as much as anybody seems around here. We all kind of speak the same language. We do the same things. We believe the same things. And Paul Little said, until somebody in that church steps up and says, we are going to places that we have never been before, by the power of God. We are going to accomplish things for Jesus Christ by the power of God that we don't even believe at this point that we probably can accomplish. But I'm going there, and will you follow me? See, I understand that. I understand this father when he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I've been there, and maybe you have too. And Jesus is so gracious. He doesn't say, okay, listen, Father, when you get to the point that you really believe I can do this, come back and I'll help you. No, he, because the Father confesses, I, I, I do believe in you, but I just, I've tried so much. I've gone through so many things. I just help my unbelief. And Jesus is so gracious so full of mercy and grace that he healed the boy, even though the father had not yet quite grown to that point. But let me tell you something. When that boy got up, everybody's faith that was about right here in that crowd got up in here. They rose a level in faith, or two levels, or three, because God accomplished the impossible through Jesus Christ and in this boy. Now, the question is, does God want to do this for you? Would God really like for you to be out of debt? Would he like for you to have 4000 and something dollars per month to use for other things than debt? 
I don't know. I think he does. I, I would think so. I would think that there are plenty of things you could use that other $4,000 for than debt. Do you believe he wants that? And do you believe he could do that? The second reason they failed is answered in one verse in verse 29. So we're going to do the opposite. We're going to first believe that God can do it. Then verse 29, verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? I want to know that. Why, why did we fail? What happened? He's already talked about their lack of faith, but Mark emphasizes this. Matthew emphasizes the faith. Mark says, Jesus replied by saying, this kind can come out only by prayer. That again raises some questions for me. I wish that God, that, that, or that God had inspired a little more information here so I could learn a little bit more about that. I'm wondering, was the boy lying there convulsing and everything, and the guys just kind of came up and said, get out of him. Didn't even ask God, would you help me, God? I mean, we need some help here. Did they not pray at all? Did they not call upon God to do this? Did they just... That just seems so foreign to me. It just seems... almost. It just seems unbelievable. But then I have to admit, there have been times that I've tried to do things without asking God and finally got to the point of saying, oh... Maybe I ought to pray. But maybe they did pray. Maybe they did, but they still didn't lack, they didn't have faith. And it could very well be, and, I, and this is my opinion, I'm, I'm, I'm stating as my opinion of, in understanding this, that there is a strong connection between faith and prayer. Now, I know that's true. And, and I'm thinking that maybe in this case, these disciples, because Jesus was going to have to work hard with them about prayer, Maybe they had not yet grown in their prayer life to a point that their faith had grown, that they hadn't seen from their prayers enough happening because they haven't prayed enough and their faith is weak in, in this connection. And in some way or another, these two are tied together. Paul's going to say in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, be devoted to prayer. That's a very simple sentence, but when you understand it from the original language, it means don't let anything take precedence over your time of prayer. So I ask you the question, do you have a time of prayer? Do we have times that we've set aside and said this is devoted to prayer? And Paul is saying, don't you dare let anything take precedence over that. That is tremendously valuable and important. It's critical to accomplishing the will of God. It is critical to doing the impossible. None of you will know this gentleman that I'm going to talk about for a moment. His name is Joe Cannon. Joe was a missionary in um, Papua New Guinea, Japan, and back when I had first moved to Memphis and was preaching at a church of about 600, Joe came to 
to preach one night and tell us about his work. And so I'm sitting out there, and, and Joe, in the middle of his presentation, says, Last year, I had 1,387 prayers answered. Somebody just laughed, right? I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, I really like that. He didn't round it off at 1,400. You know, that wouldn't have sounded quite as, quite as true. He made it a very specific number. Who would have come up with 1,387? I'm going to have to tell you, I really wondered if that was true. And then I got to work with Joe for six years. Joe kept a diary of every prayer request, the date that he prayed it, the request, the date that it was answered, and how it was answered. And that year, God had answered 1,387 prayers of his. And the next year, it was over 1,000, and it just, that was Joe. He changed our church by his prayer. He changed our church by prayer. Joe was, <laughs> please be merciful to me when I say this. Joe was known as an idiot, a nut. He's a nut. Everybody, he's, he's a nut. He just, he just do anything. Joe is the kind of guy that when we were getting ready to do some building, we're sitting around and we're trying to come up with these plans and everything and we're struggling with them and everything. And, and Joe says, Gary, don't you think we ought to pray? I say, well, Joe, it's getting kind of late. We've got to get this done. So go on a little longer. We're getting nowhere. And Joe says, Gary, don't you think we ought to stop and pray? Joe, I appreciate you. I know how much you believe in prayer, but man, we got to get this done. Third time, Gary, don't you think we ought to pray? Kind of in that language. And I said, oh. Here I am trying to lead a group of people to answer a question about what we should do for God's dwelling place, for his worship's place, and I haven't spent that much time in prayer about it. Joe led our Mission 1000 where he trained, it was his goal to train a thousand paramissionaries to go in different parts of the world and to assist the missionary who was there. And on one occasion, he had people coming to our building from all over the United States. People from Canada were coming. And Joe comes up to me and he says, Gary, I'm going over to Papua New Guinea. I've got some work I need to do over there. And he says, I don't know how I'm going to get there or how I'm going to get back. And I said, well, Joe, uh, what do you think about how you're you going to get there? He said, well, I about, I about raised enough money to get there. But I don't have any money to get back. But I'm going to be leaving on this date. And I don't know when I'll get back. I said, Joe, you've got the Mission 1000 training to do on X date. And you're the only one who can do it. I can't do it. I have no clue about how to do it. If you're not back, those people would have come here. And they would be here for no reason because I can't help them one bit. And Joe said, Gary, if God wants me to come back. He'll bring me back. If he wants me to die over there, I'll die over there. It's up to God. I said, Joe, please. He said, I'll, we'll just leave it up to God. 
Joe went over there. Joe got back. Joe was a nut. Joe just believed that God could do anything. And he believed that God, if God was directing him to do something, and he didn't know how in the world God could do it, that God had a way and he'd figure it out. The truth is, Joe wasn't a nut. I was the nut. I and everybody who called him a nut. We just didn't have a level of faith and prayer that Joe had. But he changed my life through the power of God. Now, I know that God can do the impossible, and you do too, because over in chapter 10, just remind you of the story. Every one of you who is saved has experienced the impossible. A rich, young ruler comes to Jesus. I think he's, he's as good as they come. Jesus, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And Jesus said, well, keep all the commandments. He said, I've been doing that since I was a boy. He's as good as they come around there. And he says, so what do I lack now? And Jesus said, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And the boy said, don't think so. And he went away, and his disciples then asked Jesus, if he can't be saved, who, who can? Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to be saved than for a, man, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And you see, the philosophy was that, that day is part of understanding Job correctly. The richer you are, the more God loved you. So this man was rich as he could be, and, the, and Peter and others asked the question, if he can't be saved, how in the world can anybody be saved? He's rich. He must be really loved. And then Jesus answered the question. He said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If you're saved this morning, it's not because of who you are or what you've done. It's because God can do the impossible. And he saved us. He can do the impossible again. And if he will, he will. If we believe and if we ask him. I don't know how you end, so I'm going to let you end if you would, please. Thank you for letting me be with you. Thank you, Gary, for your words, for your inspiration, and for reminding us that with God, all things are possible, especially those things that we think are impossible. And that gives us something to chew on, doesn't it, as we contemplate a possible um, capital campaign. Let us uh, let me remind everybody before we dismiss that we're going to sing our closing hymn here, Take Up Your Cross, and uh, we'll sing a couple of verses of this, and then take a little break, and then we're going to reconvene right here about five minutes after the worship service, and Gary will kind of go through the process of what the uh, uh, 
um, capital cam campaign is all about and uh, answer any questions that, that you may have. So let's, uh, let us now sing, uh, stand and we'll sing our closing hymn, Take Up Your Cross, number 494. Let us pray. Go forth, good people of God. Extend hands that offer hope and help and hospitality. Build the bridges over the chasms that separate us that, and break down those barriers that divide. Build up the domain of God on earth just as it is in heaven. And go forth into our community grateful, foolish, brave, extravagant, peaceful, weeping with joy through your tears because you are so thankful for the new life that Christ provides us. And then after serving at the feet of Jesus, return again to worship the living Christ. Amen. Yeah, wait on